When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings, everybody, and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am J.P. Mosier. And we are here reviewing the greatest pop rock hits of the last eh, 30, 40, 50 years. 57 years. That we enjoy, but we're calling it the greatest songs of all time. And we're gonna we're gonna let you know why they're great, why we love them, and why we think you should too. We're so, in a different venue today. We're in uh, different venue. We're in Music City today. We're we're in a city called Hendersonville, right outside of Nashville. Music City adjacent, seven miles from Nashville. We Close are enough. we are within uh, Dire Straits walking distance Ooh, of Music City, nice. USA. Good reference. Um, so we got a great one coming for you today. Today we're going to be talking about an all time classic. We Another Brick in the Wall, Part 2. Uh, Not to Pink be confused Floyd. with Part 1 or Part 3. No. Gosh, no. I mean, you want to talk about a drop-off in quality from 1, 2, and 3. Give me 2. Give me 2 every time. Uh, so that is from uh, by Pink Floyd off the album The Wall in the year 1979. Actually, iTunes says it's 1980. Uh, do you have any Rounded clarification? Well, I can look on the inside liner yeah. notes of the vinyl. Let's see what it says. Is this a is this a two disc? This vinyl? says this is a two uh, I mean, two album LP. vinyl. It says seventy nine here. Nineteen seventy nine. Copyright nineteen seventy nine. I find iTunes to be frequently wrong about release dates. BMI. They'll be like BMI. Don't lie. They'll be like Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool, two thousand twelve. <laughs> I'm like okay, so uh, man, okay, this is just one of the all time classic rock tracks. Period. Like just. You just think of tracks that everybody knows instantly kind of all across the world. This is one of those tracks. Um, it is part of a trilogy that is itself part of a double LP concept record, The Wall. Um, if if for some reason you have never heard of Pink Floyd's The Wall, uh, do yourself a favor and check it out. Uh, it is a monster of an album. Uh, it's actually not my favorite Pink Floyd album. You like Dark Side? My favorite is Dark Side. Um, I think that is probably because... 
I was in early high school when the whole Dark Side of the Moon was Wizard of Oz, Oz thing. Dark Side of Oz. Heck when, yeah! When that thing happened, uh, it I I've I've watched that I don't know how many times. I, I'm probably not exaggerating to say fifty times. Yeah, you definitely win. I <laughs> I know that album largely because of watching it with the Wizard of Oz. But today we're talking about another brick in the wall, part two, which is part of the Another Brick in the Wall trilogy, which is part of the Wall. Uh, let's talk about the album as a whole, and then maybe we'll bring it down. Um, the the wall, the album itself um, was uh, is is Pink Floyd's one of their one of their most popular albums. Dark Side is actually still on the Billboard charts; has never left the Billboard charts. Uh, but this is cool fact. This is a maybe what, the album that they're best known for. Possibly, it's it, it's kind of a coin toss between those two. Um, but the whole the whole album as a concept is about a guy um, building a wall around himself to isolate himself from society. Um, and I kind of, in researching it, uh, I, I had different thoughts about actually what the concept was. I thought it was about something else, but what I found out is that really it stemmed from Roger Waters feeling isolated from audiences on their tour uh, leading up to the writing of this album. He felt isolated for some reason and um and started writing songs about it and so anyway you have a guy who um who is he's not going insane that's kind of the that's kind of the theme of dark side of the moon is uh, madness but the wall is more isolation and uh almost um like sociopathic you know i'm going to like just completely isolate myself from from society because of all these people who have hurt me have you uh, have you seen the the, the movie? The, it, it's been a long time. They, I felt like they used to play it on VH1 every five minutes. This, I feel like I do my confession every week. Bing! This Bing. is my confession. I uh, I've never seen it. Believe it or not, to be a big Pink Floyd fan, I've I've never seen the VHS or Laser Disc or whatever it is they have. I, I'm going to go ahead and give you a hot take on it and tell you what nobody else will. It's weird. Okay. It's strange. I'm just kidding. Everyone who's ever seen ten seconds of it knows it's weird and it's strange. Yeah. It's got little. <laughs> Uh, actually for the, the, the video portion of another brick in the wall, it's got like children being herded into a meat grinder. Like it's very strange, very dark. I, I have seen Roger Waters live, which a lot of the clips are used in that. So I guess yeah. technically I've seen parts of it. You have seen a great deal of it. Which is actually my wife's favorite show that I've ever taken her to. Really? The Roger Waters well, show. So you saw it in person. I saw it in person. Yes. Congratulations. At, at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee. It was a last minute thing. We just went and... Saw Roger Waters, and it was quite the show. I bet it was. It was. I would like to see that. Pigs flying in the air, and like it's it's quite impressive. As we referenced uh, in talking about uh, Peter Frampton on a previous episode uh, that he bought in the uh, on The Simpsons, he bought a flying pig from oh, Pink yeah. Floyd and uh, lost it in the episode of The Simpsons. Well, That's my pig. Yeah. Look at that. We're everything's connected. Um. So. Another Brick in the Wall is part of the trilogy, part one, two, and three. Um, part one is mostly dealing with the loss of the narrator's father in war. Um, and uh, part two is sort of railing against uh, bad teachers. It's not necessarily in Waters is on the record as saying it's not against education in general, but it is against teachers who are um, harsh to their students and don't really care about them. And, and all they really care about is making uh making children conform to their sort of authoritarian uh, will. So this is a, an, a protest anthem 
against bad teachers who who have you ever had a bad teacher don't uh don't use the name or have you ever had a really just dynamic teacher Uh, quick 30 second segue on yes i've had i've had great teachers favorite teacher ever oh man my well my favorite two teachers of all time would be my uh high school and college band directors okay in, in no particular order wyatt um yeah, Alan Wyatt, Alan Wyatt. Uh, who was who was my jazz band teacher in college, uh, combined with his wife Paula uh, and Sean Perkinson, who was the guitar tech, they just blew my mind. Uh, and then Perry Vandergriff, who was my high school band director, uh, they taught me more. They taught me stuff that I'm still trying to process even now, you know, 20 years later. So um, they would be my favorite teachers of all time. I don't know if I ever had a bad teacher. Great answer. Nothing I, negative on this. We are positive we're, podcast. Yeah, positivity, man. I had a boring teacher. I had one teacher who uh this is great for all the for all the audio nerds listening. This is a great story. I had one teacher who he spoke with a very monotone voice and he didn't really change the pitch of his voice or the volume of his voice at any time and it stayed <laughs> at this one pitch. I, I I'm even changing my pitch more than he did. He if he was reading something, he would say, um, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and never change pitch the entire class. Okay. So that was bad enough. But the problem where I sat in the room, we had assigned seating and where I sat was in the back kind of right corner of the room. The radiator is directly behind <laughs> me and it's warm and it gives off that hum. And, and then the, the pitch of his voice, uh, we were in a cement, uh, Cinder block, you know, painted wall. cinder block. Yeah, inside the wall. <laughs> um, and the pitch of his voice was the resonant frequency of that room. So, like, you know, most rooms have a frequency that if you hit it, it will ring in the room. And so, literally, the pitch that he stayed on just made the entire room where I was sitting go for an hour. Those of y'all that just turned this on and you heard that noise, that is Rob doing that. It was awful. I'm going to go back in and edit that and add some delay and echo so the listeners can get a real feeling for how it was. How miserable. It was so bad. I can't even remember what the class was. I think it was maybe social studies or history or something. I don't have a clue. Not PE. I mean, I was in high school. I should remember what class that was. (laughs) You know, it was, oh gosh, it was awful. I had a teacher that would fall asleep. He was narcoleptic. I had the same guy in college. Woods? Yes. Sabred Woods? <laughs> Sorry, Sabred Woods, if you're listening to this. But I also had Dr. Barnett. Did you have Barnett for history? No. Oh, dude, it's... We could talk all day about Dr. Barnett. Music nerd. So. Okay, good, not bad. Good, yeah. good, on the on the other end of the Yay spectrum. for great teachers. Okay, teachers. There's a shout if out Roger teachers. Waters had had our teachers, we might not have this fantastic piece of art that's that a, we're about to break a, down. It's a good point. Okay, roll it. So, okay, part one is dealing with the loss of the narrator's dad. Part two is... Uh, is railing against uh, authoritarian boarding school teachers. And then part three uh, is about the, the character's descent into uh, uh, just full-blown, um, you know, sort of sociopathic mindset um, as his wife leaves him. Um, and each each part of the trilogy gets a little more aggressive. Part one is kind of understated, and it's, Daddy's gonna cross the ocean. It's just sort of ominous, but whatever. Part two uh, is sort of a straight ahead. It's actually, you know, in, in everything I read about this, and apparently this is true, I've just never thought of it this way. 
describes the song as having a disco beat. Yeah, that's, I, I actually wrote that down here. I, I don't know if I read that someplace, but I feel like I should do my John Travolta dance when I, I listen to it. I have never thought about I, that. I think it's that it's so, it's very bass driven. When yeah. obviously, because Roger Waters wrote it, he's probably going to write something that. Great well, bass line. And I think it sounds more anti Pink Floyd than anything else that I heard. I don't think it sounds Pink Floyd ish at all. It's the one that I think I, it's very out of their. They're, of apparently, their what happened is their producer. Heard heard the the idea for the song, heard the song, and suggested that they um, they put a, a disco beat underneath it. He he started playing them these hot disco tracks. I think he might have even taken them to like a disco hall or whatever, a discotheque, and 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 let them get a feel for it, um, and convinced them to do it. I, and I got to say, the producer uh, on this song, who was uh, Bob Ezrin, along with the rest of the band, um, he had a couple of so, uh, ideas on this song that with without the ideas it is not it's not the the classic it is today. He had the idea to put a disco beat underneath it that sort of if you think of it's almost got the same groove at the same tempo as uh, the Bee Gees. Um, um, what's the song? Uh, staying alive or stay, yeah, yeah, staying alive. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's got that same <laughs> Billy Jean. Like it's all that same sort of groove. I've just never thought about this song in that context. Because they're a progressive rock band, and I don't know. I just don't think, oh, that man, that's right, disco, yeah. Um, but I guess it is. But now, and and now I play, you know, most of my music is played in, like, the uh, church community, the worship community, and it's really that same groove that's still ruling that. It's it's it, what you would call four on the floor if you're a drummer, where you're hitting the kick on every boom, 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 and you're hitting the snare There's on two and four. There's just loops and yeah. drum synths. Uh, drum. Hits behind it, and it so it really is. I mean, that's a that's a groove that is still. I'm very much in week to week. So to to call it disco has never even entered my mind. Um, so yeah, Bob Ezrin had had the idea to put it over a a disco groove, and it, he also had the idea to add the children's choir, the children's voices in the second verse, which adds a whole other you know other thing to the song. Um, and and really sort of makes it and the uh, Roger Waters original idea for the song was for it to only be one verse. Really, there is nothing to this song except for a verse and a single line chorus. Um, and so it was just supposed to be that one thing done one time and we're moving on to the next part of the. Thankfully, that is not the case. I mean, right. If, if it had only been one. I don't know. Who, who knows what it would have would have felt like. But he he basically the producer snuck off. And recorded the children's choir. He took what they had recorded, if I'm if I'm interpreting what I read correctly. He took what they had recorded for the first verse and copied and pasted it. Uh, you know, with well, obviously we're on two inch tape at the time, um, so he made a made a copy of it, put them together, and added the second verse without Roger Waters' consent. Basically, went and re- to a schoolhouse and recorded these kids singing, and then brought it back. and And when he played it back they sort of both it sort of both sunk sunk into both of them that like we really have something here like it was it's eerie and it's you know whatever when the when the kids start to come in it just adds this whole other layer of whatever to the song um so part 2 is uh, immediately preceded by part 1 2 and 3 are not back to back in the track no. listing of the wall <clears throat> uh you've got part 1 and then 
part one between it and part two uh, is a song called The Happiest Days of Our Lives, uh, which kind of introduces the groove and the theme for part two. Um, and it references sort of the derision of teachers uh, and the character's kind of general distaste, you know, for his teachers. And then part uh, um, the happiest days of our lives gives way to part two. So really, and if you if you're on CD or if you're on iTunes and you just start part two, there's a little bit before the groove comes in as just sort of a weird moment. And then the groove kicks in. And actually on the single version, um, which the band wasn't even sure about doing, he, th- th- this is when the producer said, we should add a second verse. Uh, Roger Waters said, Pink Floyd doesn't make singles. Go. Um, have a nice day. You have a great day. Have a fantastic. What he said. Um, and, uh, but they did release it as a single, um, and uh, and it did well. Um, but they, there's a on the single version, it it establishes the groove first with the guitar part before the lyrics ever come in. There's also some interesting connections between two and three. Mother is right after two, um, and Empty Spaces, um, not a popular one on there. But it also was the first time that I was introduced to backmasking. On there, oh, so yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know if you guys ever if y'all know what backmasking is. Basically, if you take a a vinyl and you play it in reverse, it will say something like a hidden message. Where in this case, um, on track eight on Empty Spaces, it says, "Congratulations, you've just discovered the new secret message." If you play it back, and then it's lengthier than that. But that really? was that was my first experience with backmasking was on the, on this album. Do you know any other albums with backmasking? Can you think of any? Uh, you know, there's a fa- there's famous examples of the Beatles. Beatles, yeah. Revolution number nine. Yeah, and that's the Take the, Me Home, Dead Man. That's that one. Take Me take, Home, take Dead, me home Dead Man. Is it um, number number nine? Is that one? Isn't there there isn't there a famous Zeppelin tune? There is. Yeah, it's, it's the, I think it's on Stairway actually. Is it? Okay, yeah, part on that. But um, there's actually a Weird Al one that does it. I thought you'd have known that. Really? The, yeah, Weird Al in 3D. It says Satan eats cheese whiz. I don't know. Do you know the song? Oh, I have to go look it up. I can't remember off the top oh of my, my head. God. I was like, oh, surely Rob will know it because it's Weird Al related. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm a huge Weird Al fan. Yeah. I'm pretty ashamed to not know he'll, that. He'll find it. He'll have a, we'll have an update. Uh, it's probably, if it's on the album in 3D, there's a song called Nature Trail to Hell on that album uh, that's kind of that would fit there. kooky. Yeah, well, that's where the lyric comes from. It's Nature Trail to Hell in 3D. Oh, okay. And so I'm getting, well, there you that's go. what I'm Odds guessing. are good. So I didn't do enough homework because I figured you Satan needs Cheese Whiz. Satan needs Cheese Whiz for I those of you. I don't know. I have to ask him. Uh, my favorite backmasking is on a Petra album. Actually, we talked about Petra earlier. Petra. Yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, there's, it says, what are you looking for the devil? You ought to be looking for the Lord. And they caught lots, caught lots of flack from that because, good old, so good old witnessing with backmasking. Let the let the let the listener understand kind of our context here. JP and I uh, have both grown up in in uh, in a church context, and we've both been in church all our lives. And in the eighties, maybe even early nineties, there was just um, a there was a series of videos and stuff like that. They were talking about the evils of rock and roll and the dangers of you know, listening to, uh, you know, stuff like ACDC. I wish I could remember the name of those VHSs. Yes. Was it called Hell's Bells? Maybe. I think that makes the, sense. There was one, I think there was definitely a video called Hell's Bells oh, that was just, if you ever listen to rock and roll, your soul will suffer. Um, and one of the big things about him was backmasking. Backmasking, That usually. like, what are you opening up your spirit to by listening to all these songs that have these hidden messages? So you go get them, Petra. So Petra just <laughs> said, why are you... Why? That's hilarious. Why are you looking for, 
Why are you looking for Satan? You ought to be looking for the Lord. Why are you looking for the devil? You What are you looking for the devil for when you ought to be looking for the Lord? Oh, man. Yeah. That is called, if you're outside of the Christian community, uh, you may not be familiar with this term, but that is what we call a Jesus juke. Oh, when somebody does something out good. of sincerity and then you come mm-hmm. back at them with saying uh, why, you know, why it should have been about Jesus <laughs> in the first place. Um how we how we ended up there just now I don't know but we same don't way we got on Andre Agassi last time just random <laughs> random um, so yeah the song is really just a chorus it's just a thing they added the second verse um, it is uh, another brick in the wall part two is listed at number three eighty four on Rolling Stone's greatest songs of all time uh, I expected it to be a little higher but there are a lot of songs frankly on that list that I've never heard. I'm unfamiliar with. Do you know of any of their others that are above it? Was I guess maybe comfortably numb. I believe comfortably numb is above. Wish you were here, maybe. I don't know. Um, and uh, I'm gonna have to pay hey you. I I don't know. I'm not sure about. Um, uh, but um, it is sandwiched between number three eighty five, which is uh, "Fake Plastic Trees" by Radiohead, and number three uh, three eighty three, uh, Chuck Berry's "Brown Eyed Handsome Man." Well, when you combine Chuck Berry and Radiohead, I guess you get Pink Floyd. I guess. Yeah, somewhere in between somewhere Chuck Berry and Radiohead. Somewhere between uh, That's Chuck really Berry. true. That's good. Very strange. Uh, it was Pink Floyd's only U.S. number one hit. Huh. Uh, and, um, which I find interesting, but they, but as we'd said, they don't, don't really do singles. They weren't really a singles band. You know, they just sort of did albums and tours and did their thing and, you know, People got high and listened to him. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, watched the Wizard was, of Oz. It was what it was, exactly. Um, so, uh, uh, unless you got anything else, I think it's about time to meet the band. Let's meet the band. Let's meet the band with JP. I da-da, like da-da, it. Da-da. This is one of my favorite parts where we get to talk about the band members. Uh, we could spend a lot of time on each band member, so I'll just hit highlights uh, just for a listener. Say, Roger Waters played bass. And sang some vocals in unison with David Gilmore on this song. Uh, random things about Roger Waters. I tried to pick some some highlights. He is t- currently um, in the top five richest bass players of all time. He is number four on the richest bass players in the world. Do you he, have the rest of the list? I have the top five. Okay, all right. So okay. this will be a guessing if game. If you'll allow me, I'm going to go ahead and say number one is Nathan East. Nathan East did not make the list. Are you serious? Think broader, not just bass player. Okay. Think of like musicians okay. that are big that play the bass. Okay. Sting? Sting is number two. Sting is number two. Um, the number one is the bass player for probably the biggest band ever. Think of it in that context. You too? He's number five. He's number five. Adam Clayton is number five. So you got Sting, Roger Waters is four, Clayton is five. You're missing two. Oh, man. Three is a toughie because you don't really picture him as a bass player. He's more of a stage act. I'll help you with it. Is it Lemmy? It's Gene Simmons of Kiss. Of course. Okay. okay. And number one, drum roll, Paul McCartney. Of course. Number one. So, yeah, I tried to do the list off the top of my head, too. And I I missed Gene Simmons. um, And I put, I had, I had Clayton, but further down. I I wrote out my top 10. um, So I I, I would have guessed, I would have guessed a lot of names before I got to Adam Clayton. So Roger Waters, number four, uh, wealthiest bass player. Also, uh, today I was about 12 minutes before Rob gets here, I was reading. Uh, I'm an avid reader of, of the Rolling Stone magazine. I get it. I've got it for years. Um, and the newest issue, um, actually, I didn't realize it. We're in September of 2017, for those of y'all that are that are listening. Um, I don't know when this will actually hit the hit the road, but that's where we are now, laying it down. And uh, he's actually on the inside 
the second article is on his uh, big thing. It talks a lot about his political stance. He's a very, I'm not going to get into politics on there. This is a music podcast. Ooh. This is a music podcast, but uh, yeah, he's very uh, anti-establishment, we'll just say, I guess. I, you know, I think the, I think we might have guessed that on our own. Yeah, he probably didn't need that, but uh, we'll, we'll jump off that, go into David Gilmore, who played guitar on the album. Fantastic guitarist. Uh, uh, fantastic guitarist. Uh, do you know who he replaced in Pink Floyd? Another famous guitarist. I, not, I knew they had an original Sid, singer. Sid Barrett. Sid Barrett. Oh, okay. Sid Barrett was the guitarist. And actually, there's one album where they played together, and my memory has failed me on which part. We, I should probably have looked that up, but I don't remember. And they actually, the, before him in Pink Floyd was a guy named Bob Close. So, okay. never heard of Bob Close. I've never even heard of his name. Uh, yes. until, I, until I started doing this. A random David Gilmore fact. Prior to joining Pink Floyd, he worked as a model. So, really? Yeah. So, uh for some like I didn't dig in too much. I would have felt weird looking up David Gilmore model pictures. Yeah, I don't see. I, I don't. And I, I don't, don't imagine to... him with glossy shirtless beach yeah. photos. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah, for some sort of like nice gold gym tank top right. there, Mister Gilmore. <laughs> Jean shorts cut off. That a boy. David Gilmore hitting hitting the gym. Yeah, check out my traps, bro. Yeah, <laughs> maybe like I can't picture him as Uncle Rico. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's the mo- the closest model picture I could get with David Gilmore, um, guitar player. I'm sure we're going to highlight on the magnificence of his guitar work later. So. Where does he Where does he fall generally in your pantheon of guitar players? Ten, He's, top ten, top ten, it's top ten. Um, and that list changes every week. So, but he will consistently be in my top ten, yeah. if for nothing else, for the solo part of this section, which we'll talk about later, and comfortably numb. Though that keeps him in the top ten mm-hmm. forever for me. Um, drums, Nick Mason played drums on this, uh, random Nick Mason fact. He is the, he appeared on every Pink Floyd recording, every one, and gets very little songwriting credit. So he is, but he is, he played on every single Pink Floyd recording and he only plays paste cymbals, paste cymbals. Really? Yeah. Like uh, he won't even touch another one. Like if you, he is like so loyal to his sponsorship. Well, there you go. So good job on him on that. Uh, and on the Hammond organ, Prophet 5 synthesizer, Richard Wright. Yeah. And I could find nothing of interest on this guy. I looked. I did homework. I'm sure all you Richard Wright fans out there are probably like, come on. Super you should, offended. You should know that he, whatever. But the only thing I know is he died of lung cancer. So downer moment. to Well, the, and the only thing I know about him is that he was fired partway through recording this album. Well, there you go. He he stayed on as a basically a contract musician, but as far as being part of Pink Floyd, he was dismissed uh, early on in the process of recording The well, Wall. Thank you, thank you for that nugget of goodness, Rob. That so was, there we go. That was money. Um, Other than I, that, no one knows about the mysterious n- Richard no, Wright. Where, yes, where, what happened? Well, we know he died, but what, uh, what did he do on this earth other than that? that, is, that Probably is didn't have to do much. No. Having been part of you know, some major, major, major albums. Sure. Um, so that's Meet the Band section. That is Meet the Band. Uh, okay, so we've talked a little bit about the theme of the song. We've, we've talked about the, the feel of the song, the groove of the song. Um, I, I do want to talk about, let's, uh, I, I have a question. Sure. I've been in a conversation uh, earlier this week with, with a friend of mine. And he asked me the question about songwriting is, is, does catchy equal good? Uh, man, I don't know. Cause here's the thing. This is another one of those songs that 
it's not really, if you're talking about the craft of songwriting, I don't know that you're just going to be blown away by the song itself. Basically four chords. It's in yeah, D, I mean, it's, D minor. It's, it's yeah. It's kind of a standard FC, you know, there's, there's there, nothing crazy inventive about it. You know, music theory wise, there doesn't have to be. Um, and, and it's a very short, you know, it's basically a stanza of a, of a, you know, of a poem almost. Um, and so I'm not sure that it's, quote unquote, the song that makes this song so attractive. It's has a lot to do with the production and the the performance. You know, there's a lot of emotion. There's a fantastic, soulful guitar solo over this driving groove. Um, and there's these creepy children and, uh, you know, whatever. But that so. But that doesn't mean that it's not a good song. I'm trying to think of songs that are catchy but aren't good. And well, I listen, I play I play worship <laughs> music, and there are plenty in my genre yeah, yeah. that are catchy but are not good. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, I pay I pay attention to that because it's for, you know for me as a as a Christian as a minister, the message is of utmost importance. But outside of that, if I'm just listening to music, honestly, the the lyric is one of the last things that I pay attention to. It's the la- it's the last part of a song that I process um, to the point where, where if it's catching, you like it, you're, you're in it. I'm in, you're in it. And then yeah. you go back and say, man, I was singing about pintos and cheese or something. <laughs> yeah. But I'll, but I'll call a song. I'll call a song good based off of factors other than the actual songwriting itself. Okay. You know, like I'll listen to a track like this that you, if you, you know, if you took it to a, a songwriting class, you know, songwriting professor at Berkeley or something like that, they might not say this is a good song, but the, it's one of those things where the sum of its parts, uh, you know, creates this amazing thing. So I, I, if we're safe to call this a good song, are we safe to call this a good song? Yeah, because of the a great song. I I would that's well, it's on the great song podcast. Right. So thus, it has to be a great song. I think there's enough pieces of things outside from the body of the song itself that make it a great song. The solo alone will set it apart to be a great song. That mixed with the if you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. (laughs) How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? Exactly. That right there makes this a great song. do you remember a food as a kid that you had to eat before you could eat your dessert? Uh, no, I was never. Um, I was your never. Parents super, never said you had. To, no, super. Not super, not picky. super picky. Getting me to eat was never really a problem. <laughs> so anyone who's seen my pictures can tell. Me and Rob are identical twins. If you haven't seen us standing beside each other, yeah, we, we are. We look identical. Um, I, uh, I I wasn't a huge broccoli fan. Ironically enough, I don't mind it now. But I remember as a kid, my mom would be like, "You can't have your Oreo until you eat your broccoli." And if only I had slid this track to her, I could be yep. like, Mom, you don't mean to end up like this. This could have been a <laughs> right. totally different story. <laughs> I'm going to end up writing a song about you later. It's going to be very angry. Some it's people be... dedicate songs to their parents. Mine is not going to be another Brick in the Wall part two. <laughs> but, um, um, anyway, back on to the... No, uh, so, uh, so okay. I think what we're saying is this song can be classified as great in the same way that you can classify um, Alexander the Great... <laughs> As great, like post after the fact, you can look back on it and because say okay, that was that because was great. of its historical impact. <laughs> oh, that's even, good. You can say that's a great song. I like that. Like, I like that connection. It, 
it lives on in greatness. Whether or not it was great to begin with, if you had heard the you know acoustic guitar demo of this song, would you have said, "Man, that's a great song"? I'm Pro- not sure. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, but, no. But but the first time you ever heard it on the radio, you went, "Wow, yeah, that's an experience." So I think that's our criterion on this one. Uh, for is it great? Different. Check absolutely. Yeah. And the bottom line, if you're listening to this podcast, the bottom line. Is it's great because we said it's great. That's right. If you didn't hear the intro, our opinion is the right one. Yeah. So, um, so okay. Let's talk about let's talk about now why we like the song and why the why the the folks at home listening uh, should uh, should enjoy the song as well. Do you have a favorite moment? Uh, Ours is probably the same. Yeah, it's going to be the solo. Other than if you don't eat your meat, I'm going to go with solo. (laughs) Um, But all joking aside, solo definitely um, for all all points. Solo itself um, was recorded. Okay, David Gilmore is pretty notoriously, pretty famously a Fender Strat guy. He's if you if you envision David Gilmore, you probably think of him playing a Fender Strat. This solo was played on a Les Paul. Um, it was played on a 1955 vintage Les Paul. Originally played um, directly through the mixing desk. They plugged really? right into the desk, which was not uncommon at the time. That used to be done a lot, and you would get the warmth of the preamps. In See, the, I would have thought in the desk, big amp, fifty-seven mic. That's okay, well, exactly what I pictured. well. So what they did, they they recorded it clean, dry, straight into the mixing desk, and then they played it back through an amp and re-recorded it with more ambience. Okay, so they got a really clean uh, signal from this vintage. I mean, a 55 Les Paul, man. It's Just, heavy. It's, yeah. <laughs> My <laughs> shoulder hurts thinking about holding that guitar. But this, but it, it came out just perfect. I mean, the tone of this solo, it's so creamy. Like, it's, uh, and I don't mean it sounds not, not, like cream. Not the band creamy, yeah. like. It's creamy like thick milk. Like <laughs> yogurt. It's, it is a very yogurty guitar solo, but it's got... It comes off with such tapioca. It's pudding. tapioca, straight tapioca. Uh, it, but it comes off with such a, this great creamy tone uh, and this amount of soul. You know, David Gilmore is kind of just a very soulful player. He's not. He doesn't play with a lot of flash. He doesn't play with his eyes open. Like he, he's going to get into it. Yeah, he's no. Yeah, he's he's closing his eyes and imagining a land far, far away. Um, or it might be high. I mean, he could just be high. But. Uh, you know, and it's all 
sort of, you know, if you're a musician, you're familiar with this term. If you're a guitar player, you're probably familiar with the term, the blues scale, you know, uh, and it's, it's sort of a blues scale. So it's in the box. He's, um, but it's, I, I tell you what, my favorite moment of the song, um, the whole song is great. The whole guitar solo is great, but my favorite moment is the, the pickup notes. So, uh, and let me, let's, let's play it for you real quick. So you, so you know what we're talking about. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about right there. That first is just for me. You have me. From there on out, it really doesn't matter if the rest of the solo wasn't that good. I, I don't know what it is about that intro, but I, I can't really think of another song, another guitar solo, whose opening notes I enjoy more than that one. It's sort of a, it's, it's even like if you, if you were sectioning the song off, into this is the chorus, this is the guitar solo. Those notes would technically come before the section it, you would call in, the solo. It enters into the solo. Yes. It's it's like it's like, all right, get out of my way, vocalist. I'm, yeah. This is my you know what I mean? Like I'm this is my moment here. And I just it's so good. Um the rest of the solo is just packed with wonderful stuff. He does all these great double bends, these and, and this like uh you know, he rakes across several strings at once to get to a note, that kind of stuff. That's just very cool. Um, but for me, the intro seals it as a one of my all-time favorite solos. Absolutely. Uh, do you have solos that are just the first notes, the first phrases are so impressive that they immediately pull you in? Yeah, as a, as a non-vocalist, I'll try to sing the the riffs that make sense to me. But the I'm a big Sticks fan. I've seen mm. Sticks way too many times. Huge Tommy Shaw guy. There's a on Blue Collar Man, Long Nights, the way it comes out of. We'll probably, let's, we can listen to it. Let's here, play it. So yeah, you can hear it. Let's a little clip of it. Yeah, as, as, as you hear here at the end of the, of the bridge, he said, he holds this note out that's just way huge. And then he's on top of his own vocal line. With this nasty bend that is just resonating right on top of it, that's always super big to me. Um, that one, I, and he actually came up with the concept for this solo as he heard a uh, he heard a motorboat that wasn't starting, and he was like, "It just kind of sounds like that to me." And so he's like, "It's so uh, really? I thought that was kind of neat." Yeah, it's on Pieces of Eight for those of you Sticks fans. It's sometimes called Long Nights, but uh, Blue Collar Man's another big big hit. Um, that one, and then of course the intro uh, or the beginning of the solo of Hotel California with Don Felder's riff, oh, yes. the the which comes right on in on that. And that first section uh, is is all Don Felder, not Joe Walsh. For those of y'all that are curious, who's playing which one? It's would, really hard to tell them apart on that. Song. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about that. It's tough to know who does what. What the tones are so similar, yeah. and their lines are so similar. It's a great question and answer section that is so good, but the beginning of of the Hotel California solo is it's kind of on that that playing field, not quite Absolutely. to the extreme of of David Gilmore. But those are my two. I'm those actually kind of upset that I didn't think of that one. Oh. Um, I, I have I have two others that I that I think of. Uh, one I'm not sure if it counts. I got to get a ruling. Um, but one is uh, Pat Metheny's solo on Harbor Lights by Bruce Hornsby. Um, it comes in. It's very sort of atonal. A lot of tritones in it, and it just sort of play it so we can this, hear it. Play uh, it so we can make a right. decision. Yeah. 
there he is, Pat and Fanny. Uh, I say heck yeah. I give it a I give it a definitely. Yeah, I just like the way he sort of announces himself there. Great attack. And you know immediately who that is. There's nobody else that's gonna play that line. You know Other what I mean? Pat and it's not distorted. It's this is Pat Metheny's yeah. entrance. Yeah. It's like his He doesn't even own an overdrive pedal. No. You know, he doesn't need one. He's just I'm gonna play my weird thing over whatever you give me. And, <laughs> and it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be awesome. That's right. Uh, my, my other one, this is the one I need a ruling on, uh, is I, I, it's, it's an instrumental. Um, so there, it, there is no like vocalist to interrupt. There's no vocal phrasing, but it is the opening notes of the instrumental. Uh, and the tune is scuttle button by Stevie Ray Vaughan. Okay. When you hear the opening, uh, when you hear the opening line, you immediately go, what the crap is happening right <laughs> now? I have to hear what's a, the rest of a, what's about to happen. L- let me play it for you. I mean, that's just absolute fire from the get go. You you hear that it's what two and a half, two and a half beats worth of worth of notes in, in your face before the song even starts. Yeah, it's like, holy cow. I saw a video uh, just a couple months ago of Stevie Ray Vaughan walking into a sound check and literally it's I don't know what time of the actual day it was, but he had obviously just rolled out of bed. He's literally he's like wiping his eyes like a child. He's. <laughs> To like yawning and he just picks up a guitar and launches into that song with no count in that's all awesome. no whatever and double trouble just picks up right behind him it, it's probably 15 beats a minute faster than that's the studio great. version i kind of picture that since it's at the beginning of the song it's like the producer's like oh crap record this like, like really? hit the record button like yeah. he's starting he literally like he just gave no notice <laughs> he picks up his guitar he's like uh, just kind of okay and then and everybody hits on the downbeat and just trucks right along with zero warning it was probably like you know 5 p.m <laughs> but he was sleeping something off that's yeah. all i know i don't know if this is before or after he got clean um but the man was tired and um anyway that's the that's the other one that i think of that immediately the notes of this of this it's not really a solo but it's the opening sort of salvo of a guitar part that just but not captivates but even all those together as great as hotel california was as much as we enjoy the other ones none of them i think encapsulate as magnificently as another brick in the wall part too so i think you that's the one that's the it's not it's not technical flash it's just sort of soul that word might get overused when talking about David Gilmore. He might get a little bit too much credit for being a quote unquote soulful guitar player when he's just kind of playing in the blues scale or playing in a major scale. Uh, but there's just something about his feel and the sort of guts that he puts into it um, that just really translate. And it's just really captivating. Always interesting. Um, no matter what the song is. Good stuff. Good stuff. So uh, we're going to get out of here for today. We hope you've really enjoyed this. Uh, this is the, Great song podcast. We've been covering Another Brick in the Wall from 1979's The Wall by Pink Floyd. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Great Song Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Worship Nerd. And you can follow JP on Twitter at Penny Trader 10. Penny Trader 10. Uh, so take a listen. Recommend it to your friends. If you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening today, we hope you'll review, rate, uh, like, subscribe, all those things that uh, they say at the end of every podcast. Uh, Until next time, we'll see you. Go listen to some music.